0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast Elizabeth Kama and Megan Harris, and we're talking about an update to Tuesday's SCOTUS episode, an infamous statue that's coming down, and ways to honor and educate yourselves on this country's Indigenous people. It's Friday, October 7th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Elizabeth, hello. Welcome. You're you're very much so regular now.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes. Very exciting. Happy to be here. Hello.
0: And our lead producer, Megan. I, day by day, I don't know how much longer you're going to be with us. So how much longer do we have you?
2: <laughs> Theoretically, two and a half weeks. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the fates allow.
0: That baby's getting kicked out very soon. I hope no, he's kicking a me at the moment, so <laughs>
2: you're all very welcome.
0: Pack your bags, baby. If you're a daily listener of this show, first of all, thank you. Um, But you already Mm -hmm. know Pennsylvania's got a lot at stake in the new Supreme Court session. Yeah, that started this week.
2: Correct. Uh, Mostly election stuff. But there's also some other decisions elsewhere in the country that could have like really wide reaching effects here, um, including one on affirmative action in colleges. Um, So that episode was on Tuesday. If you want to pause and catch up
0: did all of my, you know, brushing up on everything earlier in the week. So why are we talking about this again? (laughs) Uh, Because I left one
2: out kind of on purpose. Uh, There's this big case starting next week with oral arguments. It's about one of Pittsburgh's own Andy Warhol. Hmm. First, the facts of the case. In 1981, photographer Lynn Goldsmith took a now pretty famous shot of Prince, RIP. She got paid $400 for it from Vanity Fair, and the license stated at the time that it was for their November cover and, quote, no other usage. So, Warhol was brought on to illustrate for it. They did that a lot at the time. They still do it now, where they'll take an image and then they'll kind of transpose it into something that's a little bit more colorful or, you know, kind of derived from the same. Mm -hmm. So, Goldsmith was credited twice in publication at the time. But then a few years later, she found out that Warhol had also used her image to create this series of 15 silk screens, you know, the style of like the Marilyn Monroe ones that we've all seen on the walls. Um. So that he made those in 1984. And if you just a side note, if you like either artist, you know, yes. Prince or Andy Warhol, you have yes. absolutely seen this photo. <laughs> Prince is in suspenders with the little mustache and the dark, moody eyes. I do. Um, I do know yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what we would <laughs> now identify as like that prototypical side bang, the emo thing, you know, but <laughs> the at sword. the time, so edgy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a trendsetter. Absolutely. So what? Yeah. So what's the deal? What's the deal with it now? What's the problem?
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely feral about this topic. I'm so excited (laughs) to talk about it. um, But I'm going to let you finish, Megan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very kind of you. Uh, Yeah. So we'll flash forward uh, quite a bit. Uh, In 2016, the Andy Warhol Foundation licensed one of those Warhol silkscreens of prints. That's the one that used Lynn Goldsmith's original photo. Back to Vanity Fair's parent company, Condé Nast. So Condé Nast paid the foundation. And note, this is the one in New York, not the museum people that are located here in Pittsburgh. They paid $10,250. Lynn Goldsmith found out about it and was like, that money belongs to me. I am the original artist. She asked the foundation to amicably resolve it. And they sued her.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well.
2: (laughs) Well, it's been traveling through the courts ever since. Okay, Elizabeth, you can go now. (laughs)
1: listen I have thoughts I have so many thoughts but first of all like as like Mm. I studied art history in college and so I think a lot about like what his work was trying to do and like the idea of transformation and copyright and like his work was not necessarily just like taking her image and putting it somewhere else and there's no kind of creative ideas his work was not necessarily fully about the image but it was about the idea of commercialization of pop culture and the idea of like taking this image of a person and making it like a, a product and making it kind of commodified and what fame does to a person. Um, and the idea of like popular culture being like almost like part of a factory setting. And and that's how we determine what culture is. And it's super interesting and super valuable, like from the perspective of art and what it means to be art and like what art actually is and what it means to be like a... Um, Artists, and I think it's funny because I tweeted about this and um, I said, like, I want to see art historians like trying to explain to the Supreme Court, like random stuff about like automization and like some some like stupid art history concept that I'm obsessed with. Have you looked at the docket? Are you going to get your wish? I have. And it has fulfilled every single one of my wishes. There's, like, an art history professor. Like, there's a ton of um, amicus uh, briefs that have been submitted, like, similar to this one. But my favorite is this art history professor submitted one. And he was like, listen, I know nothing about the legal situation here. And I cannot talk to legal, uh, like, copyright law. But I'm going to submit a 39-page document talking about why Warhol, like, why this work made sense as an artist. And like, he's talking in such kiddie language, like such like pared down art historical scholarship language to try to explain this to um, the Supreme Court. And I just think it's funny because like, I don't know, art historians talk in words that no one can understand ever. Um, and I mean, they
2: us- you're, you're talking about lawyers. I don't know that people have a general I understanding I was gonna, of that. I either.
0: was going to ask, can I pare it down and ask Elizabeth, is what you're saying as simply as like artist steal? And that's what art is kind
1: do. of. Like, it's like is steal, but also like it's more about the idea. His Warhol's art is not necessarily about what Warhol's art looks like. And I think that's the thing that art history people like paid more attention to, is that art is what he's making commentary on pop culture. And the image itself wasn't necessarily commentary on art pop culture and the commodification of fame and the soullessness of um of, like, capitalism. Elizabeth, but is you like it, but you're, you're the reading problem, out of the
0: pamphlet at Andy Warhol uh, Museum. But the, but the problem, the problem is the profit. Like, the fact is, like, that's great that you want to interpret my art and and do what you want to do with it and run with that, right? But, like, if you're going to use my picture that I took, then, like, I deserve... A cut of that. So, Megan, what are the fair use rules? Because I'm kind <laughs> of on the side of Lynn, and I want I want my money too. Yeah.
2: Well, there are four big ones. Uh, I'll briefly run through them. But there's one in particular that is really at stake here. Um, so, there's the purpose and character of your use of the product, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and sustainability of the portion of that original work that is taken, and then the effect of the use upon the potential market. So, if you, in this case, the photography market. um so if we're looking specifically at that one idea of transformativeness Mm -hmm. meaning that you know the second work adequately changed the first enough to make it its own unique piece of art Um, Mm -hmm. and the lower courts so far have ruled that it does not constitute transformation at least not enough Um, it has to do more than just adopt the second artist in this case warhol style and elizabeth to your point intent doesn't actually matter in the courts. The artist can intend to have all of these far reaching effects. But first of all, we don't know actually what Oral Hall wanted to accomplish with this specific series because he is dead and Prince is dead. And Lynn Goldsmith is in her 70s. So this is like a long-standing conversation. The
1: fact that intent doesn't matter is like a little bit shocking to me because as an art historian, intent is basically like of what matters, which is perfect for the art world.
2: But I can see why in a court of law, it would be like, you know, well, I didn't intend
1: to break the law, but you
2: might have and you might have to suffer the consequences of that.
1: I guess. I don't know. I'm still on the (laughs) Warhol side of this just because I see what he did is valuable. But you know whose side I'm on? I'm the side of that art history professor who sent that brief that said uh, he had no clue about the legal right, but he was going to talk for 39 pages about how much he liked Warhol. So. Yeah,
2: I I feel that. Um, the other thing, and I think this is important, and I've seen a lot of Pittsburgh photographers actually sort of pick up this argument in various ways, too, um, is that, you know, Glenn Goldsmith's broader argument is that market piece, meaning that like artists, critics, um, if the public disagrees about what art signifies, then they can just outright steal their work and not have to copyright um, which happens all the time on social media. Um, there's All a, the time. Yeah, there's a city paper photographer, Jared Wickerham, who's so talented, and he has a photo stolen every few months. And he sends them a cease and desist, and he asks them to please pay me now because you took my photo.
0: Yeah, on top of his feed of amazing photos, I feel like I do probably at least uh, every other week see him have to post something that says, like, this publication Please don't steal pictures. These. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, or if you're going to take it, pay me. Speaking of theft, uh, <laughs> I remember <laughs> teachers telling us stories about, you know, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria rolling up to the shores of the Americas in like 1492.
2: Wasn't it so romantic? The complete <laughs> lies and fabrications or like, glossed over truth that they told us as kids?
0: They made it seem so nice. They left out the brutal killing of people, the indigenous people, to take the land, which oh, leads us to, belong our... <laughs> to Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Leads us to where we're at today. Uh, A judge has ruled that the Columbus statue in Shenley Park, which some of us knew was there, some of us did not, (laughs) can be (laughs) removed. Uh, If you've been past there in the last couple of years, you may have noticed it's been covered in plastic uh, since 2020.
2: I'm glad they finally made a choice. Yeah, like his face has been covered for all this time.
0: I mean, how did it? get here in the first place? It is very awkwardly covered. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's it's been up there since 1955. But city council passed some sort of ordinance that allowed it to actually be there and stay and be displayed in 1958. So, you know, not long, but honestly, long enough. Uh, during the summer of 2020, when you know protesters were pulling down statues, and and government realized some of these are a little bit offensive, you know, and systemically racist, uh, they decided to cover it up. So you know, because they were literally coming down either by the people or by the government. So a petition was filed with the city in 2020 to remove the statue. Bill Peduto, in his last stretch, said, "Yeah, take it down." Mm-hmm. The Pittsburgh Art Commission voted, and they're like, "Yeah, take it down," you know, but. The Italian sons and daughters of America, who it's like an earlier iteration ended up paying for the commission of the statue in the first place, filed an emergency injunction to stop it. And it's been in this like legal limbo ever since.
1: Yeah. I mean, did they include Mayor Peduto on their complaint? Yeah, yeah I think so.
2: Uh, the lawsuits, gosh, what was it? The plaintiffs argued that removing the statue. I think they violated an ordinance from like way, way back, like several decades that the city didn't hold a fair and public hearing over (laughs) the statue's removal. Um, I thought it was really interesting.
0: Um, I guess
2: they thought that Peduto improperly influenced the city's art commission to (laughs) remove the statue.
0: You know, look, you you know, you got to fight fire with fire. Uh, I guess.
2: I don't know. I mean, Peduto was want to influence things his way, but so is every politician. I don't know. Every
0: single politician. the the judge ended up saying the mayor is elected by residents of Pittsburgh and entrusted with the duty of effectuating speech that reflects the will and ideals of the voters. It is contrary to law and public policy to decide otherwise. So the judge basically found that the plaintiff uh, nothing. The sons in- and daughters. The sons and daughters, it's not supported by either fact or law. Um, And instead, the lawsuit is an improper interference with the city of Pittsburgh's right to speech. So if the city wants to take it down, basically, they can do that. Yeah, Yeah. they have the right to not say something by having that statue up. And, you know, and it's offensive and it's offensive to, uh, you know, a community that is a part of Pittsburgh and certainly was here long before any of us were here. So I did some digging, though. Oh, aka, my digging is a very light Google search. Uh, okay. But I, you know, <laughs> gotta start somewhere. I gotta start somewhere, and it turned up results. I found out who the attorney is representing the plaintiffs, so the Italian sons and daughters of America. And let me tell you, this is the guy you want to hire if you're looking to keep an offensive, murderous, colonizing figure where you put it. Uh, <laughs> George Baccetto. I feel like I'm reading this literally like this man's fight card. <laughs> yeah, we should have the WWE like sound effects going. Ding, ding, like, woo, woo, woo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bacetto is an attorney in Philly. Shout out to our CityCast Philly team. He's a Republican. <laughs> he ran in the primaries for US Senate in May. He did not win. Obviously, uh, Dr. Obviously. Oz. Obviously. We got Dr. Oz on the other end holding things up for the Republicans. Um he's worked on controversial cases such as this one. Uh he is on the case right now in Philly to stop the removal of their Christopher Columbus statues in South Philly and Marconi Plaza. So
2: oh, right wow. now, he's being a good Italian son on both sides of the state. I
0: mean, so, you know, so far he's lost one. Right. But he also said he's going to appeal it. Yeah, so, I was about you to know. say there's <laughs> you know, an appeal you know. coming. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say I also got all of this information from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And this was uh, a fun read. Um We'll link built- to it in the show notes, though. <laughs> yeah.
2: So is uh what's happening with the actual statue? Like, do we know when it's coming down or like what's happening with that?
0: Yeah, no, no official word yet. But a spokesperson for Mayor Ganey's office said they are looking into next steps. But, you know, that parade is still coming up this weekend in Bloomfield like it does pretty much every other year. So, you know, yeah. even though the statue's coming down, the parade still stands.
2: Well, if you do not want to celebrate our still federal holiday of Columbus Day, you can instead honor Indigenous Peoples Day. uh, And we've got a few ideas as to how one could do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, like speaking of statues, did you guys know that we actually have two statues in Pittsburgh to the Seneca leader uh, who is in charge of this region, Gaiasuda?
2: Yeah, there's the one on, um, is it Grandview in Mount Washington? But I don't know where the other one is.
1: The other one isn't actually in my neck of the woods in uh, Sharpsburg. Uh, and so it's actually he lived and ruled right in between Sharpsburg and Aspenwall. So right where that Highland Park Bridge. I <laughs> Yeah, that's his land. And uh, that's where he used to rule. So there is cool. one in Sharpsburg.
0: But can I ask, though, is that is that figure? I always see it. And every time there's a Monday night football game. Yes, that is that's always the one. That that's the Mount is Washington one. the one,
2: yes. Well, because it like is, it's on Mount Washington. So you have that it's, perfect it's a view, view of the stadium right yeah. between their faces.
0: Is it <laughs> problematic though? Because I, I I can't imagine, you know, knowing what we know, I find it hard to believe that there was a world that Native Americans were living peacefully alongside white men.
2: The likes of George Washington. The whole statue feels a little like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're like, Joshin or having a beer, like they're staring (laughs) intently into each other's eyes. It kind
1: of looks like a really
2: intense, like second date. An intense, (laughs) it's an intense kneel
1: and crouch. Yes, I mean, I think okay. I don't like the fact that people refer to him as an Indian scout and not by his name because suda had a lot of power. And like you talk Mm. about the what we know as the Iroquois Confederacy, which is actually the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. That's the proper use of it. We had the Seneca peoples um, in in our region, but long story short, they had like a huge role. Uh, George Washington had to go and meet with uh, this, meet with Gaya Souda before he came to Pittsburgh. Like in the French and Indian war, they were a huge part that Indian was a part of that. Um, they were like an actual force in this region. I mean, one can make
2: the argument that George Washington was barely more than a scout himself until just right before that. Um, I mean, I know we know him as like the first president of the United States, but like his earliest positions were actually like quite small, like prominent for the day. But I mean, calling him, calling even George Washington a scout would have been appropriate not too long before. Like, You're 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 making it sound
0: like he was just around. You filled the job, you know, (laughs) like they needed a president. He he was a land surveyor. That was how he got started.
1: I think that, I think my perspective on the statue is, I think it's actually good if you kind of give to the respect he's given, like he deserves, because mm. he was a prominent leader. You know, he was equally prominent as George Washington in those early days, probably more prominent when George Washington was a land surveyor. So having them interacting, um, you know, one of our biggest, you know, historical figures in America and one of the most powerful Native figures in this region, like, I think that's great. I think it's good that we're acknowledging his history because, I mean, at least for me, I wasn't taught any real native history about this area when I was in high school or growing up here. What about you guys? No.
2: Yeah. I mean, everything I know is based on what was what is freely available at the Heinz History Center right now. Um, although I, of course, did not grow up here. So maybe it's different for, for for kids who grew up through the public school system.
0: Even in Catholic school, I don't feel like I got any real level of that education. It was more the nicer side of things, the whitewash side of things, right, that this was yeah. a meeting. And, and we know that that's not true.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, Elizabeth, you spoke to uh, a leader with the Council of Three Rivers American Indian Center more recently, right, about like kind of ways that they're honoring and more about, you know, exactly whose land we're on.
1: Yeah, no, I spoke with Miguel Sage He's a uh, board member, and then he also is a speaker for them. And then he's also involved in the land acknowledgement. So, you
0: know, all three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hands in a lot of jars.
1: Yes. Um. And so he shared a lot with me. And honestly, there was too much to include here. So we're going to talk about it on Tuesday after the holiday. But I do have some stuff for our listeners who want to, you know, celebrate it during the actual day. Cool. What can we do? Yeah. So, I mean, the best way to... To really celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day is to get educated. And, you know, yesterday we put something in our newsletter, actually, with a bunch of resources, Um, but we also have a reading list. And, you know, one of my favorite books about the city is An Alternative History of Pittsburgh by Ed Simon. It has a lot of good info. And then I also highly recommend Custard Died for Your Sins, an Indian Manifesto by Vine Deloria. It's really great if you just want to read up on Native activism and, um, yeah, Native worldviews. And Can I add one too? I uh, read it last year
2: during like the holiday season and it's an excellent accompaniment, like especially headed into Thanksgiving and more myths that we're you know, poorly taught. Um, It's called Braiding Sweetgrass is really good by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but it's just phenomenal, especially kind of going into that time of year. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, certainly. So read up, you know, visit the statues of Gaia Suda. Pay your respects. I mean, uh, it's his land that we're on and get educated. We'll help more with that on Tuesday. And yeah, enjoy the holiday.
0: Thanks so much, Elizabeth.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: you. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our lead producer is Megan Harris. Francesca DeBecco writes our newsletter. Mallory Falk and Elizabeth Kama are our producers. And I'm your host, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji. We'll be back on Tuesday with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then.
2: Elizabeth, you cannot yell under your phone.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. I just got so excited. You are a producer. You know better. I feel like a shamed puppy.